So Caitlin says, fertility in social movements and among people is not something we control. We cannot make new life like we make plans or money. It's hard to be fertile when we're not grounded. Fertility is about making new life that becomes self-determining, that does not belong to us. If we drain ourselves as leaders, we don't have what that takes. If we drain other leaders of time and energy on busy work, we should not be surprised when they don't have the power to create. If we're always looking in mirrors made of glass or social media and looking outward, we should not be surprised when truly new things don't want to come through and be born. May we be fertile in movement building, grounded, willing, open to new life. I'm going to get to movement building in a little bit, but I want to start by telling you a story. Many years ago, my mother was slipping into early onset Alzheimer's and slipping away from me at a time when I needed her more than I had ever needed her in my life. I was just starting to raise my own family. And somehow, in a flash, I went from being that person who blamed her mother for everything that had ever happened to her, to being that person who desperately needed my mother to accompany me on this journey into parenthood. I know many of you have experienced somewhere in your lives what this devastating disease can do. So it took my mother's spirit and her mind and her willingness and her ability to be with me, but it would be many years before it took her body. In the midst of feeling this deep grief that never seemed to abate along with the demands of being a new mother, I went for a walk. Some of you know my life. And it was an evening, and it was a beautiful evening. I think it was in the early fall. And it was either a full moon or close to a full moon. And as I walked, I looked up at this, at this beautiful moon, and, and I, I reflected on how this moon represents in our, in our earth-based spiritualities, represents the, the three faces, the maiden, the mother, and the crone. And I found myself, without thinking about it, I found myself speaking my yearning out loud. I said, please, I need mothers. I need my mother to show me, to help me do this thing that I don't know how to do. Now, it's always this yearning was answered, but it wasn't answered in the way that I expected. I don't know what I expected, but I found myself over the next several days having these moments of incredible insight. Oh, there were at least four older, experienced women in my life who knew what it was to mother and who 
had already shown me that they were ready to be with me and share what they knew if I asked. They were all wise enough not to do that until I asked. And they weren't going to tell me what to do. They were going to be with me along this journey. I can't tell you how comforted I was when I realized this. I still grieve the fact that my mother was not there to be with me and that she's not here now. But these women faithfully, most of them are now themselves, passed over. They accompanied me. They were wildly different in their styles of mothering. They were wildly different in their experiences and their personalities. But they told me the truth. I don't know, for those of you, any of you have had this experience. Past all the platitudes of motherhood, somebody finally tells you the truth. And you go, thank God. One of my friends, she's not one of the wise women I just mentioned, but one of my friends told me about the time she locked all of her kids out of the house. And went in and had two stiff martinis. me shivers, to tell you the truth, to think back on, on, on that day. And they did. They asked about everything. You know, they asked about, they asked about work, and they asked about sex, and they asked about relationships, and, and they asked about being afraid and changing their minds and how would it be. And we stayed <coughs> as long as they needed to talk, as long as they needed to Dear ones, I don't believe that we were made to raise children all by ourselves. I don't believe that it was meant to be some kind of Olympic grade sport where we competed with one another to see who could raise the best kid. I believe we were meant to hold our children and our young people lightly in communities of love like this one, and like so many others. 
experience bears this out. Because I know for myself, I could never. seriously enough because maybe we've turned it, turned it into conveniently some kind of subcategory of women's work to be kept out of sight. In my generation, and I'm not sure we've made a whole lot of progress, in my generation, women in the workplace, were we were supposed to hide our mothering because it was inconvenient. And if we had if we centered our mothering experiences, we weren't going to be taken seriously as women in the world. I hope that's different. And in some cases, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it is. Maybe we don't give ourselves enough credit for dancing from our other family obligations to our work obligations to our obligations in the public square. Maybe we need to stop and go, yeah. <laughs> Do a lot, we carry a lot, and we deserve to center these experiences. As some of our readings this morning say, mothering is about a lot of things. It is about teaching religious education. It's about marching for our lives in Washington to stop gun violence. It's about giving money to organizations that support and nurture and affirm families and children, including this one. Maybe it's about smiling at that mom in the supermarket. You know the one I mean. <laughs> the one whose child has just pitched a Category 5 fit. <laughs> The one where you go, mm-hmm, <laughs> and you give her that look, because somebody gave you that look, mm-hmm, you cannot control that child. <laughs> Maybe you've never done that. There's so, you're way more spiritually advanced than I am. <laughs> So in all seriousness, I'm going to invite all of us today, before I go any further, I'm going to say, can we make a Mother's Day resolution right now? Starting right now, let us resolve to meet and see every mother we run into with the intention of compassion, support, 
solidarity, including that mother in the supermarket? Is it only mothers of perfect children who deserve our love? Sometimes it can feel that way. Can we hold compassion for the mother who never has time to bake cupcakes for the whole class? I don't know about you, but when my children were in the Kenneth Consolidated School District Elementary School, mothering was a competitive sport. And cupcakes were an event all by themselves. <laughs> I remember talking once to a woman, oh, God love her. And she was telling me how she scrubs her kitchen floor every morning. <laughs> I said, you're kidding, right? <laughs> I got the look. <laughs> cupcakes next time, so there. <laughs> Can we hold compassion and solidarity for the mother whose child turns out not okay? For the child who suffers, who causes harm to themselves, who wrestles with mental illness, who wrestles with self-doubt, insecurity, autism, fill in the blank. Can we hold compassion for the mother of a child who one day goes on a rampage? Can we expand our definition I want to go back for a moment into our, our history. Possibly you know this, but the woman who founded Mother's Day was a Unitarian. How many of you knew this? Oh good, I can tell the story with most of you be bored. <laughs> well, you might be anyway, but I think she was really interesting. So her name was Julia Ward Howe, and she's largely known, if anybody remembers her nowadays, because she wrote the words to the Battle Hymn of the Republic. I would sing it, but you don't want me to. <laughs> Fun fact, the tune of the Battle Hymn of the Republic is the tune for John Brown's body. Because she, Julia Ward Howe, and her husband were not only abolitionists, but they were supporters of John Brown, who led and died for a failed armed slave rebellion. She was raised an Episcopalian by a very strict father, and she lost her mother when she was actually very young herself. And she married a man who was almost 20 years older than her, a man who was actually in love with a man he chose to be best man for their wedding. A man who had many progressive and commendable traits, who also wanted an obedient and submissive wife. Now, Julia Ward Howe had many qualities, but submissiveness and obedience weren't not. <laughs> <laughs> he once threatened to put two of their six children up for adoption if she didn't obey him. 
And so she did, for the sake of her children. But secretly, she began to write, and she wrote poetry, and she wrote a book of poems about domestic unhappiness. You know the writer Nathaniel Hawthorne, who wrote The Scarlet Letter? He said it was the second best book ever written in the United States, and the author should be whipped in public for revealing these things that women should not reveal. She went, she actually joined as an adult, she rejected Calvinism, became a Unitarian, and belonged to Theodore Parker's church, you know, the guy with the pistol next to his sermons. And during the Civil War, like so many in this country, the suffering and the death of so many young men sickened her. And in 1870, she wrote a Mother's Day Proclamation of Peace. And I want to read just a little bit of it from, for you. <clears throat> Our sons shall not be taken from us to unlearn all that we have been able to teach them of charity, mercy, and patience. We, the women of one country, will be too tender of those of another country to allow our sons to be trained to injure theirs. That was the first mother's day. She called women together for what she would name a Congress of Action, and there was, in fact, a Mother's Day for Peace. And it spread, it actually spread around the world. Before women had the vote, before women in this country and elsewhere had many of the rights that we enjoy today. Of course, the celebration has evolved over the years and it's no longer a Mother's Day for Peace. But I want you to know that there are many voices within Unitarian Universalism calling us back to some of that original need. Because we are not meant to do this alone. And I believe we are meant to hold all of our children, not just the children who are part of this congregation or part of our host community, but all of the children of the world. And that's where movement building comes in. So you've heard from me, probably until you're sick of hearing from me, but the Poor People's Campaign launches today. And that's not a coincidence and launches on Mother's Day because 70% of people living in poverty in this country are mothers and children, mostly mothers and children of color. Mama's Day, the title I selected for our sermon today, is a celebration that actually was started about seven years ago, and it was started by an organization called the Strong Families Initiative which pulls together hundreds of community groups in this country. I'm reading from you, you World, Mama's Day. Unitarian Universalist Association was the first religious organization that signed on, by the way, to this. It's a campaign that lifts up and celebrates the magic and heartbreak of being a mama. Or in my case, a mama and honors the experiences of motherhood that often don't fit ideas of a traditional Mother's Day. 
not too late to join me in Annapolis tomorrow <laughs> at 2 p.m. So dear ones, as you hold your hearts open with compassion and love and appreciation, imagine the power of tens of millions of our voices, the voices of our ancestors in faith, the voices of the partners we have yet to meet, all of our mothers teaching us to love with courage and with faith. Imagine the living legacy we carry forward. So celebrate your mother today. Celebrate all of the mothers, no matter how much they pissed you off. <laughs>